Well, we want to hear God speak to us this morning as well. We want to listen to what he's saying, and this morning we're continuing in our series, Prayer That God Answers. And as we've been going through this series, we've found several requirements for God to answer our prayers. We're beginning to understand uh, what God has taught us about how to pray prayers that actually get answered. The first requirement that we've already talked about is that prayers need to be prayed in keeping with God's will. If we ask God to do something that he doesn't desire to do, he's not going to do it. He's not going to answer that prayer. Secondly, we must pray in faith, God tells us, without doubting. And what does that mean? It means that we need to believe as we ask God for something that he can answer that prayer and that he will answer that prayer. When we have that faith, then uh, that is necessary for our prayers to be answered. Last Sunday, we talked about another requirement for having our prayers answered is that we must pray persistently. We must pray until the answer comes. If we you know, shoot up an answer today and we don't see, uh, shoot up a prayer today, a request today, and we don't see the answer come, and say, well, that didn't work, and we stop praying, the answer isn't going to come. Jesus taught us over and over again, we need to pray persistently. We need to pray until the answer comes. Easier said than done. That's the third requirement of prayer. Now, today we're going to talk about overcoming prayer barriers. There are other barriers that can keep your prayers and my prayers from being answered, and we want to address those this morning, we're going to talk about how unconfessed sin in our lives can stop our prayers from being answered. Psalm 66, verse 18, you can follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin, has the outline and the verses written out. It says, if I had cherished iniquity, that is sin, in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isn't that interesting? There are things that can Stop the Lord from listening to our prayers. It says, cherishing iniquity. To cher what does that mean? What does it mean to cherish iniquity? It means to, to hang on to something, to not want to let go of it, to actually perhaps even enjoy something that is wrong, that is sin. To cherish sin is to not repent of it, is to not confess it. And the psalmist writes, again, if we do that, if we cherish sin in our hearts, then it breaks our connection with God. It means he doesn't listen to our prayers. And it probably means that we are not able, not able to hear him speak to us as well. It breaks the connection we have with God. And so in this message today, we're going to learn about how sin impacts our prayer life and how we can restore our relationship with God when it becomes hindered. We're going to look at a story from the life of King David, the most famous king of all Israel. It's found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, and we're not, we don't have time this morning to read those entire chapters. We encourage you to read them on your own this week, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And so our story begins in verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. 
And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Well, this story sets the stage for the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning. It was a time of year when who went out to battle? Kings went out to battle. The kings were supposed to lead their armies out to battle. Was that happening? No, David was not. He was remaining in Jerusalem. He had his army commander, Joab, go out, and all the rest of the army, they went out, and they were fighting battles. David was not. He was not fulfilling his responsibility as king. He was not doing what God wanted. Well, what happens next? Verse 2. It happened. <laughs> when you're not doing what you're supposed to do, when you're not taking responsibility, things happen. And what it happened was not good. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And that woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. Well, there's this saying, it's not in the Bible, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And uh, it's, we see that illustrated here. David was not doing what he's supposed to do. He's not out for battle. He was lounging on his couch. I mean, what, what a way. He was not even doing any kind of kingly thing at all. Uh, he was just taking it easy. He was being lazy, it sounds like to me. And he woke up. He went, he, I, I don't know if he was sleeping or not, or watching TV or whatever he was doing. <laughs> but he rose and started walking around his roof. And undoubtedly, the palace was one of the larger buildings, probably the largest building, and it was high above everybody else. And here he could look down on all the other houses. Well, in that time, in that era, people did go up on their roof to do things because it was, you get a breeze up there, it might have been hot in their houses, that type of thing. And so uh, it was not strange that perhaps somebody would go to their roof to bathe. And... It just so happened that King David's eyes fixed on a woman nearby bathing on the roof. And rather than turning his gaze elsewhere, he continued to look. He began to lust after this woman. And so he sent messengers to inquire who this woman was. So he took it one step further. The messenger came back and said, well, this is Bathsheba. And um, she is married. She's married to a man named Uriah, and he's off fighting this war that you're supposed to be fighting. And so, making a long story short, that didn't stop David, that she was married to another man. And so, he basically, it says he took her. I don't know if she knows if she had a, a choice in the matter. He took her to the palace. Uh, he... He uh, committed adultery with her, and she became pregnant. And so David, through a series of events, had fallen into deep sin. And so we can learn from that lesson that we need to be careful because sin is out to destroy us. Proverbs 13, verse 6 says, Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. And so when a person is obeying God, when a person is 
taking the responsibility for doing the things that God wants them to do, they are protected. They are guarded. But when a person is walking in sin, their, their protection is removed. Evil begins to destroy their life. And we see this progression in David's life from basically what we might call laziness, not fulfilling your responsibility, down to, down to this sin of adultery. And so sin is, is very progressive. And we're going to see how David's sin progressed even further. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Now in the story, it tells us that Uriah had come back. David had called back Uriah to Jerusalem. And he had a plan. He felt that if Uriah came back, he would sleep with his wife. And then they could say, well, she got pregnant from Uriah. That's where the baby came from. But Uriah refused uh, to, to be intimate with his wife. He said, everybody's out fighting, except David. Everybody's out fighting, so how can I enjoy this when I'm supposed to be out there as well? And so David's plan to cover up his sin, to cover up this unwanted pregnancy, had failed. What was he going to do? He said, well, I'll, I'll take care of the problem. I'll take care of Uriah. And so he wrote a letter to Joab, the captain of the army, the leader of the army, with instructions. And ironically, he sent the letter to Joab. Uriah took the letter, which was his own death sentence. He didn't know what was in it. He took it to Joab. And in the letter, David gave Joab instructions as to how Uriah would be killed by the hand of the enemy so it would look like uh, he had simply died in battle. But clearly... What David had done was he had called on Joab to kill, to murder Uriah. And it says in Scripture that one sin led to another. David writes in, let me see here. Well, I didn't put it, that slide up. In Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. And so David's sin was weighing on his heart, but yet he continued to try to cover it up. The Bible says that what David had done by sending this letter to Joab to have Uriah killed displeased the Lord. God was not happy with this plan. And so God sent a prophet named Nathan to David and he told him a story to bring conviction to David's heart and David realized that what he had done was very wrong. Nathan pronounced judgment on David and his family. The first judgment would be that the child born to Bathsheba would die. And sin causes unanswered prayer. What did David do? The child got sick, so he began to pray. Nathan went to his house after he spoke to David. 
And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. He prayed that the child would be healed. Not only did he pray, it says, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So David's fasting and praying for this child to be healed, but the child died. And so David's prayer went unanswered. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, which is the word of God, even his prayer is an abomination. In other words, again, God doesn't answer the prayers of people who are not obeying God's word. So we mustn't let sin destroy our lives and our prayers. Now let's think about this concept of sin, what sin does. Most people classify sins into big sins and little sins. And as they make this classification, generally they will say that their sins are little sins, right? Other people's sins are much worse. Uh, we compare ourselves to Hitler and other mass murderers, and of course, in our eyes, we come out looking pretty good. And many people think that God doesn't really care about little sins. You know, everybody does them. doesn't really matter. God doesn't care. It's just the big things. But as we've seen in this story about David, things began with what we might consider a little sin. Just being lazy. You know, kings could do whatever they wanted to do. Nobody said, David, you have to be out fighting. Maybe they thought it, but he was a king. He did as he pleased. He was lazy. Might consider that a little sin. But any unconfessed sin will lead to unanswered prayers. And I believe that unconfessed sin in people's lives is one of the major reasons that prayers are not answered. So let's think of our own lives. Is there any sin that you are cherishing in your heart? Something that you know is wrong, but you don't want to let go of. If so, then that sin may be causing many of your prayers to go unanswered. That would otherwise be answered. And what should we do? Well, we should repent. We should repent to be restored. First John 1 John 1.9 is a wonderful promise. It says, if we confess our sins... He, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we confess our sins, we say, when we admit, God, I've done wrong, I confess it to you. I tell you I'm sorry. When we confess our sins to us, he forgives us. And not only does he forgive us, but he cleanses us from the unrighteousness, from that stain of sin in our lives, from that, that consequence of sin that breaks our relationship with God. He, he cleanses us. Repentance consists of two steps. The first step is, as we talked about already, to confess or to admit your sin to God. David writes in Psalm 32, 5, about his sin, this very sin we're talking about. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so David finally admitted after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan 
he confessed his multiple sins to the Lord, and he was forgiven. Now, prior to that time, he'd been trying to cover up his sin, cover up his sin from what other people might think, maybe even trying to cover it up from God. How, how silly, right, to cover, try to cover up a sin from God who knows everything. Covering up our sins is, is a form of denial. It, it leads to bondage and unanswered prayer. And so admitting or confessing our sin is the first step to repentance. The second is to, to turn away from that sin. David writes in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so the whole of Psalm 51 is David's response to being convicted of his sin through the prophet Nathan. And he calls on God to cleanse his heart. He calls on God to restore his relationship with God. He calls on God to keep his Holy Spirit upon him. For sin takes a person out of God's presence. Uh, sin causes the Holy Spirit to be grieved or to be quenched in our lives. But restoration can come when we admit we've sinned, we turn away, we repent of that sin. And so what happened with David as he repented of his sin? Well, his relationship with God was restored. There's many psalms that he wrote after this, uh, after this happened, that God was still speaking in to him and through him. But there were still consequences to his sin. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so in David's story, he committed adultery. He committed murder. In God's judgment, through the, pronounced through the prophet Nathan, not only would Bathsheba's child die, but these same sins would continue in his family. And... The things that happened were, were terrible in, in David's family, even after he'd repented. There were, well, we won't go into it all, but there was adultery, there was rape, there was murders. Um, his own son rebelled against him and was killed by Joab, of all people, and just things all through the rest of his life. And so the, the common thought by many people today is, I'll just repent, God will forgive me, and everything will be fine. It doesn't work that way. There are consequences to our sin, even if you've received forgiveness. Every sin has a negative consequence. Our forgiveness restores a relationship with God, allows us to have answered prayers again, but God's judgment still continues. We reap what we have sown. And so we need to obey to release God's blessing. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its, its working. And so as we obey God's word, it brings blessing into our lives. And it here it's talking about to be healed, we need to confess our sins to God and, and, and pray. And when sins are confessed, we're walking in righteousness, so we're obeying God's word, and it says that the prayers of a righteous person, a person who's walking righteously, a person who's walking in repentance, their prayers 
are powerful and effective. And so obedience to God's word releases the presence of God in our lives. John 14, 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so, as believers, we love Jesus. And if we truly love Jesus, what are we going to do? We're going to obey the things he tells us to do. We're going to obey his commands. And when we do that, his presence is with us. He promises that he's going to love us and reveal himself to us. And that comes through obedience. Secondly, as we obey, it releases God's answers to our prayers. 1 John 3, 21 says, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive. Sounds like an answered prayer to me, doesn't it? From him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It says, it begins with, if our heart does not condemn us. When does our heart condemn us? Well, when you sin, what do you feel? You feel guilty. Our heart condemns us after we sin, before, if we haven't yet repented. And if our hearts condemn us, then we're not going to have confidence before God. We're not going to have confidence that he's going to hear us. Because there's something between us and God that needs to be taken care of before God will hear our prayers. In order to receive from God anything we ask, which would be a wonderful thing, right? We must have confidence in our relationship with God. And we gain that confidence by walking with God, by repenting when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, by keeping his commands, by doing what pleases him. Now, in life, many people think they have three choices in every situation. The first choice is to obey God. And that's a good choice, right? Everybody agrees that's a great choice to obey God. The second choice people think they have is to disobey God. And that is true. You, we have a choice to disobey God and do things that are not pleasing to God. The third choice people believe they have is to do your own thing. I really don't want to obey God. That's too hard. But I'm not going to do these bad things. That would be disobeying God. So I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. It's kind of a neutral thing. And that should be okay with God, shouldn't it? But as we read scripture, we understand that there are only two choices in any situation. We're either obeying God or we are disobeying God. And when we choose to do our own thing, which is not obeying God, we are in essence disobeying God. Now, one of the reasons that people get mixed up about sin is most people think sin is doing bad things, right? How many agree sin is doing bad things? Things, the do-nots, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't commit adultery, don't commit a word, murder, that's sin. And it is. That's completely uh, true. But that is not the only category of sin in the Bible. There are two major categories of sin. That is the category of, uh, we call it commission, something you do that's wrong. 
But there's a whole other category of sin that we often neglect. It's the category of omission. It is not doing something God commands us to do. Not doing the good things that God commands us to do. That is just as much sin as doing the things God tells us not to do. And so oftentimes, people think, well, I'm not doing anything bad. Why aren't my prayers being answered? Well, maybe you're not doing sins of commission. You're doing sins of omission. You're not doing the good things that God's Word tells you to do. There are probably more scriptures telling us the things we're supposed to do in the Bible than scriptures that are telling us the things we're not supposed to do. Both of those are types of sin. But as we obey what God tells us to do, as we repent of not doing good things that God has been telling us to do. We've not been doing that. We need to repent of that as sin as well as the bad things that we've been doing. Then God begins to answer our prayers more and more. And so obedience releases God's blessing. And so today we've seen how sin is, a, I believe, a major hindrance in our relationship with God. It's a major hindrance in having our prayers answered. And so this morning, if there's any unconfessed sin in your life, in my life, God wants us to repent so that our relationship with him can be restored. Repent both of the things we know that we are doing are wrong and the things that we know God is asking us to do that we are not doing, things that are good things that God wants us to do. And as we do that, God will, our relationship with God will be restored and he will begin to hear our prayers and answer our prayers in greater dimension. God wants to release his blessing into our lives through his presence, through his prayer answers. In fact, Jesus told us that God wants your prayers to be answered. And answered prayer is one of the causes for joy in our lives. It puts joy in our life when we pray for something according to God's will. He answers our prayers and that gives joy to each and every one of us. And that's what God wants for us. Now, relationship with God begins with what we've been talking about today. It begins with admitting that we've done wrong things in our lives. And again, those wrong things, perhaps we don't present it enough, are both wrong things we've done that we know are wrong and right things we have not done. We admit that, we repent, we turn away from that sin. We believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us. We ask for his forgiveness. He rose from the dead and we commit our lives to following him as our Lord and Savior. Both not doing the things he tells us not to do and doing the things he commands us to do. Let's bow our heads right now. I'd encourage you to pray along with me. If you have never prayed a prayer like this before or if you'd like to recommit your life today to Jesus Christ. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I, I've done wrong things. And I haven't done the things that you created me to do. And I ask for your forgiveness. I turn away from those sins and I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven all of them. I invite you into my life. I 
I believe you've risen from the dead. You're alive today, and I commit myself to following you and your word all the days of my life. God, we also pray today that we, we say, God, we, we want more of our prayers to be answered. We want our prayers to be powerful and effective. And we ask today, God, for you to forgive any sins that we've tolerated in our lives, any sins that we've cherished, both the sins of things we know were wrong and, and the things we just didn't want to do what your word is telling us to do. We repent, we turn away from those sins. We ask for your forgiveness. Help us to obey you. To obey the things you speak to us through your spirit, the things in your word, that you might release your blessing in, and prayer answers into our lives. We pray that as each of us grows in our prayers and sees more and more answered prayers, that the prayers of our church family as a church family would become more powerful and effective. We ask, God, that through our prayers, you would bring revival into our own lives, into our families, and into our city. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.